and welcome to Crossview Radio, a weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. Last week, we responded to the recent Florida shootings and If you recall, we didn't limit our conversation to just that event. We brought in the discussion and asked ourselves whether Christianity could give an account for the evil of this world. Now, when we ask whether Christianity or any other worldview can account for evil, we're not asking whether it endorses it. Christianity does precisely the opposite. It rejects the evil of this world. But what we did acknowledge is that your worldview, whatever it is, must be able to give an explanation for the existence of evil. Why is it here? And more than that, if it's going to give an account for it, your worldview will need to give a satisfactory definition for evil. This is exactly what we said that non-Christians are unable to do. Non-Christian worldviews are ultimately false. And one of the reasons is because they cannot provide a sufficient definition for evil, let alone give an account for it. Non-Christians don't have the right to call anything morally good or evil. But if that's the case, then what we're going to need to do is go one step further and ask ourselves from a distinctively Christian perspective how to deal with it. Assuming you've embraced the premise that only Christianity can account for evil and that you've embraced the premise that the only answers we have are theological answers, okay, now we're equipped to dig into Scripture and find out what our response ought to be. J. Gresham Machen wrote, Christianity will indeed accomplish many useful things in this world, but if it is accepted in order to accomplish those useful things, it is not Christianity. Our Lord said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in order that all those other things may be added unto you, you will miss both those other things and the kingdom of God as well, end quote. As a pastor, I encourage many people who are experiencing all sorts of trials. Sometimes I hear them express to me something along the lines of, you know, I became a Christian, but it just isn't working. Now, there's a problem with that statement. It's worded in such a way as to be very subtle, and yet it describes a form of Christianity that is absolutely foreign to Scripture. Did you catch it? What that person is saying is essentially this. I became a Christian in order to get something else. You see, what this person has done is engaged in idolatry by worshiping the effects of a thing over and above the thing itself. Christianity says, I want Christ. Pragmatism says, I want the things that Christ can get for me. It's a major difference. I love C.H. Spurgeon's quote that really reflects this exact thing, and particularly in the area of of trials and suffering and, and the peace that he's looking for. He says this, quote, I looked at Christ and the dove of peace flew into my heart. I looked at the dove and it flew away, end quote. I frequently ask our church family, I say, in order to be satisfied, I need Jesus Christ plus what? And the answer should be nothing. We become Christians because we get Christ, not because of all the benefits. And though we do celebrate and enjoy those benefits, but that's not the reason why I run to Christ. 
And the reason that I share all this is because it's important to recognize that until Jesus returns, there will always be suffering and trials here on this earth. Now, of course, the non-Christians who are listening to this will say something like this. See? See where Christianity gets you? Christians don't have any motivation to change the world because they claim that, that evil will persist until the return of Christ. And my response to that person is the same as my response was last week. It's the non-Christian who has no motivation to change society. One state of affairs cannot be said to be better than another in non-Christian systems of thought. We saw that last week. If there is no morality for the unbeliever, then no society can be better than another society. And so, once again, the non-Christian's motivation to better society is evidence that they really do believe in moral good and evil, and thus they really do believe in the God of the Bible in their heart. The Christian recognizes that moral evil is a result of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. We read of the spread of sin and death in Romans 5, where where we read this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. We live in a fallen world. It wasn't supposed to be this way originally. Consider Romans 8, verses 18 through 21, where we read this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The reason that we need to understand this is because a proper diagnosis of the situation is going to lead to a proper cure. So the first thing we must do when facing the evil of this world is to always fight evil with the gospel. You cannot have, you cannot have morally good people apart from Jesus. We learn that in Romans 3, 21 through 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, from where? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The primary tool accessible to the Christian is the gospel itself. Moral evil can be reduced in this world as more and more people trust in the gospel. As more and more people repent of their sins and trust in Christ, they will be changed so as to turn away from sin and away from moral evil. But what about situations where suffering is unavoidable, like cancer or car accidents or disease? In those situations, as well as the ones that are direct results of sin, we rest in the sovereignty of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7 through seven. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This promise in 1 Peter is not made to unbelievers. It's made to believers in Christ, which means this. There is no ultimate hope for the unbeliever in suffering unless he or she becomes a believer. For the believer, the verse is very clear. Trials are temporary. They are necessary. They work towards a goal, and that goal is to prove the genuineness of your faith. 
So even in this scenario, the gospel is still extremely relevant. Time won't permit us to to review all of the reasons for trials and suffering. However, the Christian recognizes that God has not lost his sovereignty in our suffering. And therefore, at the end of the day, this is what it comes down to. It comes down to a trust issue. Will you trust in God and his sovereignty in permitting your suffering? Imagine that you are uh, in a ship being tossed around in the ocean and you, and you realize the danger you're in. You don't cry out, you know, forget this ship. This isn't working out for me. I'm jumping over. That'd be foolish. You actually cling more tightly to the ship in the storm. And in the same way, for the Christian, we don't jump ship just because we're going through a trial. In fact, Jesus is the only one sustaining us through our trials. Our suffering ought to cause us to cling that much more tightly to Jesus. Is Jesus enough? It's a question that everyone is going to have to ask at some point in their lives. I brought this verse up last week, and it's certainly worth looking at again, Genesis chapter 50 uh, and verse 20, where we read this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. God has a purpose in our suffering. Even when others mean evil against us, God has a purpose, known at least to him. But that's God's role. Here's the important part about this. The purpose of my suffering is God's role. God's role is to direct the purpose, to be sovereign. We have a role too. Our role is the trusting and the relying and the depending and the waiting and the believing. Job chapter 13, verse 15. Job says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. He's talking about God here. Even if God were to slay me, I will still find my hope in him. Let's trust in him today. One more thing here before we conclude. If you are interested, I have a couple copies of a short book called When Trouble Comes. And if you send me an email at john at crossvieworoville.com, uh, I, I can get, I mean, I have a limited number of those available. So uh, when they're out, they're out. But I do have a limited number I can send out if you're interested. Very short book, uh, very good read, Gospel Truths on when trouble comes that might expand a little bit more um, beyond our, our conversation last week uh, and this week. Um, so send me an email if you're interested in that. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com. Crossview Orville.